The message today comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 22. And it reads like this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone think that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we are many, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Stronger than he? These are the blessed words of our Lord. The fifth grade or sixth grade, maybe fourth, when I recall going to, to um, a revival service that my dad was preaching in Hildebrand, it was right off the exit, uh, so much so that you could see the, um, the, the little church from the uh, exit. And so we were there in Hildebrand, um, uh, there that night in the revival service, dad was preaching and while he was preaching, the, back, the front door of the church opened, and when it did, uh, someone uh, walked into the building. Uh, it was a man, and he had a woman with him, and he was leading her into the building. I noticed that things didn't look exactly right with her. 
And they walked as Dad was preaching all the way down the aisle to the very front of the room. And when they did, Dad naturally stopped uh, what he was doing and asked what was going on. To which the man replied that he had found this woman out on the bridge uh, getting ready to jump off the bridge there at the interstate and end her life. And he had somehow been able to get her to, to uh, cease doing that and come with him, and she had done so. Um, Dad uh, spoke to the woman, and when he did, she answered him. Uh, the woman answered him, and the way that she answered him was not in a, a woman's voice. She had a deep, guttural voice, and I knew, though I was only in the fifth or sixth grade, I knew immediately that this woman Uh, was possessed by a demon. Dad then looked at that small congregation. It was not a large room, low ceilings, everybody sitting there now quietly observing what's going on. And Dad said, if you don't know the Lord or if you're not walking with him, you need to leave now. And people got up and left and I found it unfair that the person I rode with was in charge and that I couldn't leave. And so I sat there wide-eyed. Dad began to pray. There was nothing of, uh, of uh, extraordinary uh, in his approach about it. He began to pray for this woman as she uh, was now there at the altar. Dad began to pray for her. She had knelt down. And as Dad prayed for her, he prayed for a little bit. And then when he finished praying for this woman, he uh, spoke to her. And when he did... Uh, her reply to him was in a normal female voice. It was as if whatever was in her who was speaking to Dad was gone. And and indeed, uh, she who had been possessed by this demon, who I'm convinced had taken her to that bridge to end her life, that demon had left her body. And Dad uh, instructed the man to help her up. He did. She sat there on the front row. Dad finished his sermon, and we went home. And as was customary in our house, nothing was said on the way home. This was like business as usual. Nobody explained anything. So in my fifth and sixth grade mind, I just assumed uh, some things which I learned later. I say, uh, share that to say to you this morning that uh, honestly, I'm so pragmatic in the way I do what I do and in the way I think that I often discount the work of the enemy. I will uh, really, if I look at the three enemies that believers face, the sinful nature, uh, the world and its system and Satan, I'll put Satan at the bottom. I'll put our sinful nature since we have to live with that at the top. I'm not saying it's wrong unless I do it to the exclusion of the others. Satan, Israel, he does work. He is at work in remarkable ways. And here we find that Paul talks about that. You see, Paul is speaking or writing to Corinthians. And when he sailed into Corinth, all he had to do was look up on that hill overlooking the city and find the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in that temple, meals were served. It was the uh, social hub of Corinth. Meals were served, and along with those meals, and along with what transpired in that city, along with all of that, 
In that temple, there was a, a sexual cult. And so often, the meals that were served were accompanied by uh, grotesque sexual acts or just normal uh, sexual acts, except they're between random men and women. It is into that that Paul writes in uh, chapter 10. And Paul makes this point very clear. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior. You cannot... Flirt with sin and follow the Savior. Sin will overcome you. Sin will overtake you. Sin will overpower you. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior. And Paul says there are two reasons. It didn't work then and it won't work now. It didn't work then and it won't work now. And for the then, he goes back to the Old Testament, back to the people of Israel, and he describes them. And here's what he has to say about them. Our fathers were under the cloud, passed through the sea, baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And in the original Greek, all of that is one sentence. There's not a period. Verses 1 through 4 form one sentence. Paul is like bubbling over and spilling over. And he says, here's what happened. They were enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses, sent them across the Red Sea, sent a cloud by day, fire by night. When they got hungry, he rained manna from heaven, crispy honey flake-like bread. Uh, When they got hungry, when they got thirsty, they got to a rock. God told Moses to strike the rock, and when he did, water came out of the rock. This was an amazing existence for these people. What a remarkable history they had. And as soon as they experienced all of that, as soon as they experienced with the Red Sea in the background, they get to Sinai. They're not even headed up through the wilderness to cross the, the uh, Jordan. They're just north of the Dead Sea. They've not even done that yet. They're in Sinai, Red Sea in the background. What happens? Verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Here's what happens. He gives four examples And he, Paul, is making the statement, you cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior because it didn't work then and it won't work now. And he gives four examples here. Here they are. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Exodus 32, 6 is what he is quoting. What happened? Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. You know the story. While he's up on the mountain, Aaron, the high, Aaron, who should is Moses' brother, who's in charge. The people say Moses has been gone forever, and since Moses has been gone forever, let's just make our own god. And so they make their own god. They take the gold off of their bodies. They put that gold into a furnace, and they produce a golden calf. And they worship that golden calf and say, "Was it not this golden calf?" that brought us out? Was it not this golden calf that brought us out of Egypt? 
And they have the audacity with the Red Sea in the background to worship a golden calf. Moses gets the news from God on the mountain who sees what's happening at the foot of the mountain. God says to Moses, hey, if you'll just let me, I'll kill every one of them. Moses intercedes for them and says, no, God, don't do that. He comes down the mountain, breaks the tablets, looks at Aaron and says, what in the world were you thinking? And Aaron answers like any middle schooler would answer. Well... The people, they, uh, they they insisted, so he defers, right? He blames others, but then he says, uh, we threw our earrings and gold into this uh, fire, and out came a calf. Really, Aaron? That's like your kids, you know, playing with the ball in the house that belongs outside. They break some heirloom piece, and when you come in to discover, I don't know what happened, it just broke. Oh, maybe the ball hit it. Novel idea. Take responsibility. Aaron doesn't, does he? He says, out came this golden calf. And the people are described as sitting down to eat and drink and rose to play. There's all kinds of uh, plays on words in here. And there's all kinds of talk about eating and drinking. And it's all going to weave together in a remarkable way. They eat, they drink. While the calf is glistening in the sun. And they rose up to play. And this word play in the Hebrew implies sexual indulgence. It was a a massive orgy that was happening. Red sea in the background. Cloud by day. Fire at night. Pharaoh's army destroyed. Let's say a golden calf did. It doesn't stop there. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We go to Numbers, I think, 25 for that. Scripture should be on the screen. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3. When Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. That's vivid language. Right, So the men take the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And so what happened? It began with sex and it led to idolatry. Prior, it begins with idolatry and leads to sex. This begins with sex and leads to idolatry. And so these invited the people to the sacrifices of their god. And the people ate. Look at that. They ate. Do you see what's happening here? There is a feast. There is a meal. The people ate. And bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So much so that Moses steps up and says, I want you to take a sword. You leaders of the tribes, find every man who took a Moabite woman. Find everyone and kill them. 23,000 die. But there are 24,000. There's a, there's a brazen, though, uh, man. He's... He's seen this girl. He's so consumed by her. And while all of this is happening in grief and shame breaks out in the camp. And people are literally weeping in the camp. He, with girl on his arm, marches through the mourners. Heads to the tent of his family. He, as quick as he can, gets her clothes off of her. His clothes off of him. And while that is going on, engages in sex with her. Phinehas, who is Aaron's grandson, sees what's going on, the audacity of somebody to do something of that kind of, uh, of, 
of act while God is judging, takes a spear, goes into the tent, drives the spear through the woman's belly, through the man, which gives you an idea of what they were doing and kills them. And at that moment, God stops the slaying in Israel. Paul says 23,000, number says 24,000. That's a discussion for another day. But lots die. Why? Because they flirted with sin while trying to follow God. You can't do that. You can't do it. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior at the same time. You'll do one or the other. You can't do both. Paul isn't finished talking to these Corinthians. We may not, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That fast forwards to another passage in Numbers. And that passage in Numbers describes it this way. The people grumbled. They wanted uh, food to eat. You see it there, Numbers 21. And they uh, didn't like the bread and they were tired of the quail and they're tired of the water and they're tired of everything and they're complaining, God, why don't you give us something else to eat? And when they do, God says, okay, have it your way. He sends serpents, snakes in among them that begin to bite them. They die. Moses intercedes for them yet again and God says, take a serpent, put it up on the pole and when you do, if people look to that serpent, they will live. Fourth example, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This phrase, some of them, is the understatement of the year. Why did they grumble? Because uh, uh, Moses sent 12 spies. You remember that? 12 spies into the land of, of Israel. Not yet Israel. It's the promised land. And two come back. Joshua and Caleb say, we got this. Ten come back and say, no way. There's no way we have this. The, the people are large, the, uh, the, the, they'll, they'll win, we'll lose, and the people begin to whine. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? And oh, We're going to go in there and get killed. And when they do, God steps in and he judges them. And this is what he says. If you're 20 years old, if you're 20 or over, you'll die right here. The only people who will make it in are under 20 years of age. Have you ever thought about how many funerals they had in the wilderness? There were somewhere, estimates vary between one and two million people who left. How many kids buried their moms and dads and grandmas and granddads? The only two above 20 who survived were Joshua and Caleb. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior. Why? Because it didn't work then and it won't work now. Check it out. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We now, where we are from our vantage point, can look back, see their bad example, and that example can inform us. Let me speak to a couple of, 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 of ways that we should be informed right now. A couple of ways. 
It is a sad and real commentary on the state of not only our nation, but of the world. When the best-selling book is Fifty Shades of Grey, and when it is the most watched movie in its worldwide open of the year. There is no place for anything like that in a Christian's hands at all, ever. Does not belong. There is nothing gray about Fifty Shades of Grey. It is all black. It is all sin. It is all wrong. Every bit of it. And some of you flirted with sin, followed your lustful heart, bought the book, watched the movie. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior. It is an indictment on a culture that celebrates Bruce Jenner today. Bruce Jenner is not a hero. What Bruce Jenner has done is not heroic. It is not to be celebrated. It is not to be exalted. It is not to be favored. And yet, watch the media. And the media applauds him. The world says, what a heroic act. What a man of great courage. Jenner in his sex change, says he believes this is God's purpose for him. Audacious sin. We celebrate what we ought to speak against. And I wonder who the Phinehas is. Who's the Phinehas who's going to step up and say, not in my camp, not in my house. It will not be this way here. Not in my circle of influence. It will not happen. And when Phinehas stepped up and did what he did and put an end to this man who marched past the mourners with his uh, woman on his uh, arm and, and began to commit sexual acts with her God brought judgment, God stopped the slaughter. Parents, where do you need to draw the line in your house? What do you need to do in your house? Husband, where do you need to draw the line in your life? Wife, where do you need to draw the line in your wife, in your life? You cannot flirt. With sin and follow the Savior. Sin will win. Can't do it. Oh, but Jerry, I would never. I would never. I would never do that. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands. Take heed. Lest he fall. There are no I would nevers. No. I am as prone to sin as you are. I am tempted like you are. Every staff member, every deacon, every Bible fellowship leader, every 
person in this room who knows Christ can fall to sin. It is the sin of presumption. I would never do that. You watch the news. I would never do that. Don't say that. If anyone, you are in the most dangerous spot when you say, I would never. That's what he says here. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Then comes the very next verse. And the very next verse, I've quoted out of context. I've memorized this verse years ago. It's a great, great verse. Look at it. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. By the way, if you write in your Bibles, that's a a breath of fresh air in the middle of this. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand, but in every temptation will make a way of escape so that you can stand up under it or you can endure it, as the ESV says. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Please hear me. Verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 10 is true, is right, and it works. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. When you're tempted, you're not tempted any different than anyone else. We all endure the same kinds of temptations, absolutely. And God is faithful, amen. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand, but in every temptation will make a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. And all God's people say, amen. But if you don't do verse 14, you make verse 13 null and void. And I never got that to this week. What does verse 14 say? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Right, here's the deal. Here's the deal, church. Here's the deal. There is plenty of sin and temptation that Satan will send your way. That's the kind that seizes you. It's the surprise attack. But if you deliberately rush headlong into sin, you're not protected by God. If you are a teenager in this room and you think, oh, we'll have sex. We love each other. That won't happen to us. We're back to, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You say, oh, I would never have an affair. Most affairs don't begin with plans to have them. They don't. It's usually, maybe these days, a little too long on Facebook. With an old acquaintance. If you rush headlong into sin. Maybe you live together unmarried. You want God's blessing. You're engaging in illicit sex. Every week. Praying on Sunday. Guess what? You make verse 13. Null and void. If you rush headlong into sin, there's no exit. There's no flashing exit sign that God's going to provide. He will let you do what you do. 
He will let you go where you want to go. He will let you indulge what you want to indulge. He will let you be deceived by your sin. He will. Teenagers, if you say to your parents, no, I'll do it my way, I'll have it my way, then you'll have it your way. And you'll deal with consequences. Such a tough message. You cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior because it didn't work then. And you cannot flirt with sin and follow the Savior because it doesn't work now. It's the sin of presumption. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. It's the sin of deception. Flee from idolatry. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I would say. What I say, Paul says that to them. I would say it to you too. If you think I'm wrong, you can take it up with me afterwards. I welcome you too. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Now we're back to food again. I told you there's food all through this. And Paul ultimately gets to communion. And he says, you are now, as new believers in Corinth, you, you've sat down at the table and you've taken the wine and you've taken the bread. And you've said, this wine means I believe Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for me. This bread means I believe his body was broken for me. You're going from that table and over here is the temple of Aphrodite. And in the temple of Aphrodite, you've been invited to a meal. You go in, you sit down at that meal. You're eating food as if it were offered to an idol. And so then he wants to clarify, because there is one bread, we are many or one body. All of us who are believers take that, and we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. We've done that. Verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. You go to the temple, that's a bunch of junk. It isn't true. They aren't idols. That's what Paul says. But then here's what he says. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice to uh, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. The problem is not with the meat. The problem is not with the fake idols. The problem is that when they engaged in that, they entered the demonic. That's the problem. You say, oh, but I, I would never do that. Or maybe I could never do that. Then why does Paul say, I do not want you to be participants with demons. Because you could. And some of you are. Some of you did last night. Some of you did this week. You played with fire. You flirted with sin again. You somehow convinced yourself that it wouldn't burn you like it burned someone else. Say, Jerry, what do you mean if you've ever struggled with alcohol, don't ever touch it again? Period. In any way. If that means saying no to the wedding invitation, say no. If you struggle with pornography, cut it off. Get accountability. If that person on Facebook is reaching out to you again, 
shut the account down. You can live without it. If gambling is your thing, don't go near where it is. Don't carry discretionary money with you. That's what Paul is saying. He says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You can't drink this and drink the cup of demons. It's either or. It's not both and. You cannot have your cake and eat it too, Paul is saying. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? He says, are we stronger than he This is a staunch warning to believers that you can engage the demonic by the choices you make and the sins you commit. On Tuesday, we returned to Greenville, Spartanburg Airport to pick up Hannah. So glad to have her home. Remember JB that I told you about? JB, our waiter that we met there. We touched base with JB before we left. He wasn't working, but he met us at California Dreaming and we had lunch together. We thought it'd be fitting for him to meet the girl after whom he named his car, for one. Uh, so, So we did that and we sat there and I said, JB, tell me how you came to Christ. JB said, I... He said, my drug of choice has always been marijuana. And let me pause to say something here. That marijuana, while it's legalized in many places, is often the entry door drug of choice. And once that door is propped open, then all kinds of things follow. And JB said, I never did anything but marijuana. And he said, but I got so bad with it. My mom and dad, they're Catholic. They kicked me out. He said, so I took up residence with this girl. She, this girl that I took up residence with, could get any kinds of drugs. So I did cocaine. I did LSD. And he said, it was about five weeks ago, I think on a Monday or Tuesday night, that she brought home with some of her friends some mushrooms. I decided to try them. He said, when I did, I began to sweat profusely and Satan showed up. And he said, she, that's what he said, was strikingly beautiful. He said, she walked right into where I was. I felt if I could reach out, and mushrooms are a hallucinogenic drug. If I could reach out, I could touch her. And she looked at me in her striking beauty. And he said, she said to me, if you will keep following me, I'll give you all the women, the most beautiful women in the world. He said, I sat there. 
And when she finished that, she said, if you will keep following me, you think this high is good? Oh, there's so much more. And it's so much better. He said, I didn't respond. I was convinced if she ever sat on my lap, I'd be done. He said, then when I didn't respond, she looked at me and said, oh, is it same-sex attraction you want? If you follow me, I'll give you all the men in the world. Any man you want, you can have. He said, I looked around the room And the room was empty. My friends had left. He said, so I went into the bedroom, and when I did, I heard her. And she said, let's test him. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. He said, immediately, my phone rang. And it was a beautiful girl calling me. I knew her. And I thought, I'm being tested. He said, I declined that call. And as soon as I did, the next phone call came in. And it was somebody who could get me any drug I wanted. And I thought, I'm being tested. Three o'clock in the morning. Third call came in. He said, I... Refused to take it that morning. He said, as soon as the the daylight came, I called mom and I called dad and said, I have to get home. And they said, are you in trouble? What's going on? I said, no, I just have to get home. And he said, I got home. And they said, let's take you to the priest. They could tell I was visibly shaken. And I said, no. And so he did his other good drug of choice, which was to go work out. He said, I worked out for three hours. I thought, I'll just go work out. That workout will cover all all of this up and he said I did and it came right back I went home I went back to the gym I worked out again he said it was the next day that my friend Neil reached out to me Neil's a believer and Neil said JB I'd love for you to go to church with me that was on a Wednesday on a Sunday morning JB went to church and God gloriously saved him that morning I looked at JB and I said, JB, I want you to hear me well. Satan is the great imitator. He has nothing original. He has no original ideas. Everything he does, he copycats. Everything he attempts, he copies someone else and he copies God. I said, I want you to think about this for a moment. So last Monday night or that Monday night when Satan showed up masquerading as this beautiful woman and promised you all of these things, even got these people to call you at this opportune time to trip you up. Think about that. That sounds pretty impressive until you consider that two days or the very next day, God speaks to Neil. Neil picks up the phone and calls you. Neil takes you to church on a Sunday morning. On that Sunday morning, the pastor gets up, preaches a sermon. The Holy Spirit reaches down into your heart, saves you, regenerates you, raises you up, makes you into a new man. Satan will never be able to do that for you. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Satan is the great imitator. God is not. I didn't get this loud in the restaurant, by the way. Um, God is not intimidated by his imitation. I said, so, 
That happens. So happens our waitress. So happens, right? Our waitress who's older than he is a Christian. I said, so in the very place you work, rather than a phone call that comes in, God just places somebody who's one of the managers here, sympathetic to your newfound faith, watching over you. I said, then, eight days later, eight days later, we go to Greenville Spartanburg because God has called our daughter to go to Ecuador. We drop her off. Wendy is in tears. Last thing we want to do is sit down and eat lunch. Bonnie insists on driving up to meet us. She does. She says, let me take you to lunch. We do. Of all the restaurants we can choose, it's yours. Of all the sections we can sit in, it's yours. And of all the things I could say, it's simply, can we pray for you? And you share your story. I go back. I share it with the church. We've got a whole church praying for you, JB. Always coming up in a few weeks. We've got a whole church praying for you. I said, God will not be mocked. Satan is only an imitator. Look at what God has done. Do you know what I believe? I believe when Neil called, God just drop kicked Satan and said, take that. I believe when, when uh, uh, JB showed up for worship and got saved, bam, you know, sucker punch. I believe when we rolled into the restaurant, tears coming down, eyes, boom, knee from God to Satan all over again. Why? Go to verse 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Don't forget those four words. And God is faithful. Amen? And God is faithful. Say that with me. And God is faithful. Wow. JB said to me, either then or later this week, he said, Jerry, maybe this was yesterday. He said, this is who I have now. I have... Neil, I have Melissa at work. I have your family. That's it. He said, my parents, they don't know what to say to me. Their answer is the priest. He said, my friends, they weren't my friends. I cannot be near them again. And God is faithful. Here's what I want to say. Some of you are sitting here still thinking, I could never do what JB did. Yes, you could. You're made out of the same flesh he is. You're prone to the same sin. Here is my prayer. This place was packed at 930. And packed with young people. If you're here and you're 25 or under, would you stand right now? If you aren't, would you look around? Please hear me. I love you. I love young people. I love college students. One time Jesus looked at Peter. 
I'll write about this in my blog tomorrow. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith not fail you. And when you have turned, you'll strengthen the brothers. I love you. This church loves you. We invest most of our ministry dollars in 25 and under on purpose here. There are people older than you who give lots of money to make sure that you are ministered to. The church, with God's help, Satan will have no claim on these people standing up in this room right now. Amen? No place. They are ours and they belong to the Lord. And we claim them for Christ.